Thanks for tuning in to Colorado Backcountry Conversations. Where we talk about all things nomad life and interview fellow adventurers who live their passions in the wilds of nature. To get a deeper look into what I have going on, check out my website at coloradobackcountryadventures.com. And for a glimpse into my mind, pop over to normal, the number two, nomad.com. On this episode, we interview Chris and Caitlin Barnica. Two of the gnarliest adventurers we've ever met. They recently navigated the wilds of Africa from Cape Town to Northern Egypt on motorcycles, often encircling their camp with acacia tree thorns for protection from lions. We had such a blast interviewing these two and the conversation went great. We're stoked to share it with you. Enjoy. So today we've got Chris and Caitlin Barnicat visiting us. And they're our guests today. This is actually our first guest, so this is a big moment for both Baron and myself. <laughs> Uh, but I want to welcome you guys to the show, and we've been super excited to talk to you guys for a long time. Um, why don't you tell the audience where you guys are from and kind of uh, how you got into adventuring like the way you do, and then we can dive into your incredible Africa trip. That sounds pretty good. We're uh, happy to be here. This is a pretty cool opportunity in your uh, the potato shed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really a soothing environment. We're just setting the vibe, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, uh, I'm Chris, um, and this is what, Caitlin Barnicket. So you can talk, can't you? Yeah, <laughs> so, I can talk. <laughs> um, we're not uh, podcast experts yet, so <laughs> this is new for us as well. And uh, we're from Buena Vista, even though I just said it wrong. It's how much time I'm home. Buena Vista, (laughs) Colorado. (laughs) I don't know. We've been in Buena Vista for about almost 10 years, on and off. Mm -hmm. But we're both, well, Chris is from Colorado. Cool. I I, I didn't know you were from here. Yeah, Yeah, I grew up in Boulder County. Oh, nice. uh, Awesome place to grow up, man. It was we're very fortunate. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. It's okay, but you're from Southern California, right? I am, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. I miss it sometimes. Mostly the weather. <laughs> yeah. But. So how, how did you guys, were, were you both like adventuring solo before you became a couple and started doing these things together? Or, or did you morph into like this adventure lifestyle after you two connected and started, you know, doing your thing? I think we both were. Chris in a much more intense way than I was <laughs> probably yeah. but um and Chris got me into a lot of what we do now um including motorcycling although mm-hmm. I wanted to do it before I'd met him but he was sort of I used him <laughs> to help <laughs> me figure out which bike I wanted <laughs> and then he taught me to ride in the high school parking lot in well, Westminster, right? Yeah. Oh, you've come so far. How long ago was that? <laughs> Six years ago. Okay. Yeah. So. yeah. so had you guys done some pretty, like, epic adventures before the Africa trip, or? We had, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, earlier, before I married, I did a world tour for two years on the motorcycle. Um uh, and then actually, and then later I was living on the truck for a little bit, and that's actually where I met Caitlin, as I was doing a more localized uh, trip just out of a Jeep and um, driving around the West. And I had a lot of Jeep problems, uh, and so I ended up in Buena Vista because I knew uh, a friend of a friend was a Jeep mechanic, and so I was 
hanging out in this town and that's uh, you go to the coffee shop and that's where I met Caitlin. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, and, um, and I didn't, I, I never pushed her to get on a motorcycle. Well, I made her get on my motorcycle. But I never, <laughs> I never uh, pushed her to get into riding um, and, uh, or um, into adventure motorcycling. It's definitely something she chose to do on her on her own and then just made him teach um, me she did me yeah <laughs> it's cool we smashed the panniers off her bike like the yeah first i day. dropped that bike on <laughs> yeah. that's that's cool yeah. so you've been in it for quite some time then absolutely okay when did you start um i in uh in call right i uh my big like well with motorcycles and starting to travel or travel on a bike um, and live off a bike. It started back in college, um, way back in the day. I don't even want to say, but uh, I I was tired of fixing my car, and I love motorcycles, so I virtually gave the car away, and um, got a bike, and I just lived off the bike, and I started doing longer tours, um, riding uh, from Colorado to. Um, Los Angeles to see my folks, which were living out there at the time. And, and I would be camping along the way because that's what I could afford to do. And, and uh, camping is more fun than a lonely, uh, dull hotel room. <laughs> so, but then I was smashing my bike up because I was riding a street bike. And I'd drive on these dirt mm. roads to go camping. So, <laughs> it's this like is a little rocket. crotch rocket? Or? It, not quite close. It's like okay. a big crotch rocket. The first bike was a uh, Kawasaki Concourse. Um, it's like a big sport tour. Okay. So uh, lots of fairing that I smashed up, and so gradually, I mean, I could, I started to progress and see where I wanted to go with things, and it was I needed something um, a little more off-road capable and longer distance capable, and so it kind of started there, and then, um, uh, yeah, I can go into more about. The world tour, if you want, but yeah, well, it's, uh, one thing that's always fascinated me about the way that you guys adventure is like, you know, I do it in a truck, but it's limiting because it's, it's this big vehicle, you know, and you're, you're in like these bikes and you can go so many more places than I can go. And it just, it seems to me like the amount of freedom that you have would be, that would be extremely attractive. That would draw me into something like that, you know, it's, and I'm sure that, that maybe that's one of the reasons why you guys like it too, is just the flexibility of having two wheels instead of a big four four wheel, you know, machine, right. you have two wheels, you can go a lot more places. Right. I would think. Is that accurate or is that, I don't know your, your, uh, the motorcycling thing as much. I think but. it's absolutely accurate to an extent. I mean, there's plenty of times I'm sure, uh, you agree with me where we, I, I, I can't stop, but I help myself, but stop and look at these four wheel drive rigs because there's definitely times where, uh, I would like to have a little extra with me um and uh sometimes in some cases you could do a little more if you can carry more with you yeah uh, to an extent and you can definitely go um further without support uh as far as water and food and fuel mm -hmm. with a four-wheel drive than a bike but the bike they're just so fast <laughs> i like to ride i love just uh the enjoyment for me of um even if it's something as small as whether I'm going to the grocery store uh, and running an errand or I'm going across the country or to another country, it's f so much fun. Um, I do, I love off-roading in four-wheel drives, mm -hmm. um, 
but uh, I don't enjoy driving on the streets as much as I would on a bike. And, uh, and then as far as off-roading goes, there's um, some trails that are much better for bikes, adventure bikes, and there's some that uh, I wouldn't think of that you could do on a, mm-hmm. a good four-wheel drive. Big so I guess it goes both it. ways. Yeah, it was, yeah, like we were talking on one of our previous podcasts, it was like there's no perfect rig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if there was, everybody would have it, but there's mm-hmm. drawbacks and benefits to every setup. Yeah. I just think this, this, this just the nimbleness and and flexibility to go different places would be attractive. And I'm sure that's probably why, you know, like the Africa trip, you were telling me, uh, for the audience here, like like Caitlin and Chris just got back, what, a couple, three or four months ago, from a six-month trip in Africa, is that right? Mm-hmm. And you started in Cape Town, South Africa, and ended in, was it Egypt? Egypt, Okay. Yeah. So yeah. how in the world did you come up with this incredible trip, and what did you do to prepare for it? Um, what was it? A year of planning, right? Um, and, uh, I'm mostly, you know, our, our route sort of fell into place along the way. It, it switched a bit. So we planned, we knew we wanted to start in South Africa and we knew we were ending in Egypt, but the in-between was, I mean, it was pretty exciting because, for various reasons, broken bike, uh, weather, politics, our route kind of would wind differently than maybe oh, we expected in the first place. Yeah, that's that was... cool. But yeah, it was it was interesting and stuff we'd find out from locals once you get there. Like, don't you know, don't go that way, or you have to go that route. You know, and we almost relied on local intel. So you had more than anything else. Did you yeah. have like GPS, like a GPS map, still too? We did, yeah. And how helpful was that? Where like most of the roads charted on there, or was it just like land masses, or how did that work? Uh, navigation is a is an awesome topic. You can go on forever with it, and everyone has uh, their own techniques. We were just talking to another guy who'd been to Africa way, way, way before us, and he was like, but you guys have GPS. And it's true. It's an incredible enabler. And even if you don't have street maps, which uh, today you can get most of your street maps for free online. You can find them. But if you don't have street maps, or in a lot of areas, there's, there's no, there may not be streets for maps yet. So, uh, but even like the Garmin World Base Map, you can navigate off of there. They do show the, the primary highways going through um, through the world. And you can kind of use those as a ballpark about where you are and where you want to go. You can't navigate off that. I mean, you can't route, I should say. You can't type in an address to go off that. But you can just know where you're at. And you can follow your icon on the GPS and try to follow those um, main routes if you need to use those for navigation. Now, there's uh, great companies out there like Tracks for Africa who specialize in uh, taking uh, GPS input from overlanders and creating a map database. Okay. Surprisingly, though, it's amazing. There's, there's still lots of terra incognita out there, like tons of black space as far as GPS goes. And in fact, we wow. put some new routes on the map did you really? Uh, we submitted uh, okay. several That's cool. tracks to Tracks for Africa company. They accepted them, um, and uh, they will be on the new the new maps. Because, like Kaylin was saying, 
you have a general idea of where you want to go um, and you have our concept of the main routes, but then along the way, you just hear, you, you hear about stuff mm-hmm. and it uh, incites ideas. Well, I wonder if that's possible. And those are the coolest routes you can find. You don't even know if it's a go or not, but you're willing to give it a shot. And that's when you're, you're putting new tracks on the map. And if it's cool, you want to share it, you can send it for Tracks for Africa and yeah. we'll put it on there. So how did you communicate with other people? Um, we, <laughs> we communicated with each other. <laughs> <laughs> but like you're talking about locals telling you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, most people spoke English. Yeah, oh. on the mm-hmm. eastern side oh. of, uh, of Africa. Um, British well, it col- helps. British okay. colonized, German colonized... Uh, I see. Um, and then I think just the the times now, English right. is a pretty widespread. It's the world international business language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we're so fortunate to have that or almost everywhere you go in the world. The professionals, someone in that environment. I say that, but we definitely went plenty of places where it's pointy talky and uh, communicating with facial features yeah. smiling a lot um <laughs> were most people pretty receptive to that like when you got there they were like excited to see you or was it like a like yes what was places the vibe like? absolutely yeah okay yeah. we'd have like uh people doing dance parties on the side of the street <laughs> yeah. as we rode by That's and awesome. of course as soon as you stop most places you'll get you'll attract a crowd sure. that are just excited yeah yeah they loved actually we had paper maps too sitting in our um bags up front and um they love they want to where you know where are we where are you going oh cool yeah it was cool yeah that's awesome wild i wouldn't even it's wild that that can be like a new concept yeah you know yeah so i I would imagine the terrain over there you you probably experienced areas that like no other of areas not 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 comparable to what we have here in the states or something like that so what what are some areas that stand out in your mind of like insane geological features or or like I saw a bunch of lakes that you guys would go past and like flamingos all over the place oh, and yeah, stuff like cool. that. And, and I mean, talk about that a little bit and how, what you thought of the terrain. You know, each country was so unique. I don't think we, either of us expected how different at m- many of the countries were mm-hmm. like, uh, Nam- Namibia, I think we would yeah. agree was a pretty unique, um, that's the wildest. The whole, uh, what is that, western coast in for hundreds of miles is just sand dunes. Just hmm. giant sand dunes. Huh. Second largest sand dunes, dunes in, in the world. world. The yeah. largest red dunes. Largest red sand dunes. I don't know why this dunes. is important to me, but it is. Uh, the largest sand dune in the world is in Peru. Uh, but they have the largest red sand dunes in the world. It's awesome. Um, and then we drove across, um, this was a track we added, right, through Namibia, the crater? Or was that mm-hmm. one already there? That's one so did. one, yeah, track that we kind of just, we, we heard about the yeah. route. We heard, which is a funny <laughs> it story. It sounded so. really intense. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's a crater, it's called Mesum Crater, uh, and it was an old volcano left a giant hole right Hmm. and we rode across it like this hole is you can't see end to end can you kind of yeah we could see okay which is 
desolate hole. No water. <laughs> no water. How deep? Uh, <laughs> a couple hundred feet, I'd say. Okay. No, more than that. More than that, yeah, because we had to climb out, yeah. and there were sand dunes. Yeah, the walls probably go up somewhere between 500 and 1,000 feet. Yeah. Wow. Dang. Um, it was But you can ride right, right down into, or drive, um, right down into the crater, and then cross it and essentially follow some tracks um, through, like, drainage. That may or may not disappear yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> you go, yeah. where are we? <laughs> yeah. It's funny because we, um, we had a wonderful gentleman help me uh, do some work on the bike at a bike shop. And he, I sat down with a map and was talking to him about connecting between some two towns riding through the desert. And he kind of helped us come up with this idea of where to go and this and the general route we would we could take. Yeah. And he was very enthusiastic and very gung ho about it. I think it was the next day that uh, well, we diner. met someone else, and this guy's like, "Oh yeah, I know him. He didn't tell you that he had to get like airlifted out of that from, <laughs> from heat from heat exhaustion trying to ride the sand." Out there, yeah, so. and then he just starts giving us like worst case scenario, and I'm starting to like freak out a little bit because one of the challenges on our trip is Chris's riding ability is up here, and mine's you know down here. I'm mm-hmm. willing to try stuff, she's willing to try. I will try it, <laughs> but I will eat it a lot, and so he's got to be willing to come back and without um. Our bikes weighed quite a bit. I think we had what we had seventy pounds at least of gear. At least, yeah. So that without that, that's um, without water. Um, that yeah. So eighty pounds. I don't know. At least, yeah. Um, but back home, unloaded, I can in most situations lift the motorcycle on my own, not like 10 times in a row, but I can do it, you know, once or twice, but with all that gear on, I, I couldn't do it. So I really relied on Chris's help when we would do those backcountry routes through sand and rock and da, 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 uh, for how, if, much is if, it, how much of a problem is it like not having so much weight to throw into it when you have that much weight on the bike? Like, is it uncomfortable to drive or do you feel like you can still throw it around and you can feel it. We got used. I got used to it. We got used to it. But you definitely, like in sand and technical terrain, you can feel that why that weight. Um, Are you talking about the the load on the bike or the uh, the weight of the rider? Like the the, the combination of the two. You know, like not having as much weight to throw around. Is that like a problem once you get to a certain amount of stuff on the bike? Yeah, it's, it is. Yeah. Your your uh, the rider to bike and bike load ratio uh, definitely has a massive effect on what you can what you can handle yeah. off road or how difficult it's going to be. Yeah. For um, our listeners, I weigh less than a hundred pounds, <laughs> so that bike like eats me alive. She rides a, a F six. Oh yeah, we should. GS. Yeah, so I rode BMW F six fifty GS two thousand four, and Chris is on the. What was it? Oh, oh no, it's a new one. Oh, 50, oh, yeah, 2015. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I grabbed a newer bike. Yeah. Uh, the F800. Not new. There's no reason to buy a new BMW no. ever. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. Are the bikes themselves similarly sized? Like similar CC or are they much different? 
you know, they they keep mine can keep up with him. Mm-hmm. You know, they can both do, um, you know, they can both do steady ninety miles an hour. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I ride F eight hundred, and it's newer, and so it, it does have more power and more torque. Um, to a degree, her bike's got a good deal of torque on it, though. Yeah, um, and my they're they're different. I mean, they excel in different areas. Right. Mine's lighter, so if I was a better rider, technically in sand and stuff like that, I could do better. Without yeah. getting like, Bottom so in down. the sand, you're getting like stuck in it or are you just sliding out or a combination of all the things depends on the consistency right that's one thing that blew my mind and i've ridden a lot of sand already but in africa uh the sand varied so much one place um we would just be going out some sandy tracks and it would be a mission just because it was powdery and super hot and dry and then you know a few countries down the road we'd be riding like legitimate sand dunes with relative ease. Yeah. Hmm. It's like just surfing. That's got to be fun. Cruising over those Oh, walls. man. Egypt. That was... That oh. was... Oh, my gosh. No. That was like so adventure riding heaven. Well, what, what made it that way? What's, was it was it, like he was saying. It was the hard pack sand. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even explain it. You can just go off for miles and just fly really? over this incredible empty desert. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just water. Yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah. use water, which wasn't point. out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. how did you haul water? Um, it's a, a limiting factor, and we carried as uh, we had water bladders, um, and uh, Nalgene's, okay. and then we would um, buy extra bottles too to stock up, and uh, and then we carry a steri pen. Okay. Um, if we can do some research or find wells or water sources, we'll use them. And we did quite a bit. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so did you filter them like straight with a mechanical filter? And then did you use like the micro filter too? Or? I just use, um, just if it's okay. really some dank looking water or we saw someone bathing in it before we, before we got there. <laughs> Which did happen. Yeah. Uh, um, I would filter, filter through, through like my, a handkerchief. Sure. Yeah. Right. Although my handkerchief's not that clean either, because right. I use it. Filter, you're welcome. Yeah, filter if it's really dirty, and you can filter the chunks out with the uh, handkerchief. Um, people people say they use coffee filters, but I don't know. I don't have time for that. Yeah. Uh, um, but ninety nine percent of the time, I find a decent water source, and I'll use a stir pen. And the stirry pen is the UV. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you put it in an algene, just if anybody doesn't know how it works. And then you, you put the water in an algene or a similar sort of container. Does it work in bladders too? It does it one liter at a time, right? Right. Technically, you'd be walking a gray area there. I've done it. Um, but the, it's really designed for some sort of like one liter vessel. Okay. Regardless of what it is. Um, does it have anything to do with the reflectivity of the sides of it? Or is it just like beams um, everything? The size of the vessel okay. that you're going to be using. Uh, I've used a lot of different types and it's been an incredible asset. You just got to, the only thing they screwed up on that, or in my opinion, they didn't screw it up. But um, like, like a lot of appliances, the on-off button 
it's possible. It doesn't happen very often. It's rare, but it's possible that that could be triggered in your pack mm-hmm. or battery in your pen or your writing, and mm-hmm. so you have a dead battery at the end of the day. Um, so but, do you have a cigarette lighter or something to plug into the bike? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, and that's how you're charging system. everything. Right. So no solar or anything because you're running have, off the bike? or We do um, have one of those Gold Zero. Did we bring it? We ended up... Uh, uh, so I've seen some bikers do it and use it, and mm. I can see some applications where it would be handy because, say, you've stopped into the day, but you want to continue charging, mm-hmm. but you're 100 miles from uh, the nearest town, and you don't want to risk plugging anything into your battery. Mm-hmm. But if you know your battery really well, um, and you've got another bike there, too... It's not as big a deal, but if you're on your own, I could see the application mm-hmm. for a solar panel. Um, we definitely we use the solar panels a lot for like trekking and long distance, like backpacking to power appliances. Yeah. Cool. But yeah. Most stuff we can on the bikes. We power off the bike with cigarette adapters. So how long did you generally have between? And I know there's no like generality. I guess what's the longest gap that you had between like a t- one town to another? That you had to like stock up on stuff, and what did that look like? What would you qualify as a town? <laughs> yeah. 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 Somewhere that you can, I don't know, get gas and water, or Ooh. or like finding gas and water. Was that like what was hard to find, gas or water? Depending on the country, uh, fuel. We weren't expecting it, and fuel in the Sudan and Ethiopia would became quite challenging hmm. um, because of their own personal fuel fuel shortages and I think political stuff too, probably. Right. Yes. Surprisingly, um, fuel availability. You'll drive, you can drive by fuel stations. Oh yeah, but it doesn't have nothing Mm. there. Uh, Do you have to worry about the quality of the fuel too? Or are the bikes pretty just... This is a really interesting topic that I sweated over for months before the trip because I, I had, I know on my bike... Um, a later model, it's got a canvas, it's got a computer in it um, that manages the fuel system. Her bike's not, it's much simpler. Um, but for my bike, I'd heard you can uh, get the fuel system remapped for a low-grade fuel, poor fuel. Okay, like but on I the didn't computer, do it. right? And I had no problems. Okay. Yeah, we had no issues. And people say one of the biggest things, you can, you can use it again like a sock or... They make oh like a filter for the fuel filters so that you can yeah yeah so we've thought about we thought about buying that at one point and then the store was out yeah a fuel sock would have been a good idea I think yeah but I've ridden I put so much garbage fuel in BMW bikes and I've actually never had a problem Mm. there's already an internal fuel filter in there that you may have to watch because it'll get uh, crud on it. So what is in the fuel that you're worried about? Like, is it just sediment and just like? Yeah. Um, we I, would we would buy fuel and we'd have to be careful. Like, we'd get black market fuel at some points, and they'd come in these jugs or whatever, right. and you could never use the the last bit of the fuel because it's all <laughs> it's there's all a bunch settled. of junk yeah. down in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you do have to be careful about that. Yeah. Sometimes we put it in our camping fuel bottle. <laughs> Oh yeah, we well fuel. our um I'm gonna grab my sweater. Our um the camp stove ran off our fuel too. Right. Okay. Same fuel for the bike, same fuel for the stove. So did you carry extra fuel beyond the fuel tanks? We we carried a yeah an extra fuel bladder and we actually used it 
probably more than we expected to. Absolutely. Yeah. So how many miles do you get on a tank? I got about 230 was max. Well, we never actually really figured it out, but 230 was like, you we need we need to find but food. like 200 <laughs> miles you can do she's yeah. good for at least 200 a little over i'm good for 300 uh, extra large like tank mm. um and so we usually carried extra fuel for, for her me. but yeah. in uh, some rare circumstances i needed it also yeah. and for your original question how far was the longest distance between um towns i would say Seabloy, right? Seabloy uh, National Park area. And I, I am hesitant to give you exact numbers, uh, but I can just think like... Over 300 miles. Uh, yeah, yeah, and these these miles were really hard. Like I'm talking <laughs> like four or five, four days, five days. Uh, I'd love to constantly Deep going. sand, yeah. marbles <laughs> nearly broke us off. Right. It's kind of... um. <laughs> Uh, we'd heard about this. There's some routes out there that are known. This is a known route. Um, the last <laughs> adventure route, like through the east, eastern route through Africa, I guess people might call it. Right. It's uh, So it's like not established completely or... Or just super rugged? It's just super rugged. Super rugged. Yeah, yeah. like... It um it skirts it starts to skirt at a certain point um, a lake Lake Turkana right right yeah um, even before you get there to some degree and it's um this huge alkaline lake right hmm. for Colorado riders I'd compare it to be a couple hundred miles of Hayden Pass yeah, <laughs> yeah. good gotcha. example yeah. like uh, loose rock uh, steep. Um, Steep hills and lots of sand, but it's incredibly beautiful and remote also. Uh, There are are a few people out there in some places, and um, they're living in their traditional way. You'll see them in the the brush uh, carrying their spears and um, wearing animal furs and stuff. How does that go over? Like when they see you, are they like... Mixed bag. Yeah, uh, mixed. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes they're uh, super friendly and uh, want to come over and investigate because you are in their neighborhood. So they, uh, they want to see what you're doing and, and why you're passing through. But other times they're super standoffish, especially if you go through an area that sees some tribal conflict, maybe a little bit of warfare. Uh, there is um, quite a bit of... Sorry. Yeah, dogs. Okay. So, we got dogs oh. invading us right now. <laughs> okay, Muddy, you're good. Go, go on outside and play. We had one area where we were... Uh, I don't know if we kind of lost. Um, we had a general idea where we were. We didn't know if we were on the right track, and I needed uh, to ask directions. Or pointing talkie directions. I didn't. Um, I didn't speak the local dialect, and these folks were um, on camel, and I rode up to them, and they ran off, um, and they had. They were armed with AK-47s. Um, well, I don't and know. you went up to them just to be like, "Hey guys, where do I go?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was that I mean, uh, was that scary? Or? You know, a lot uh-huh. of the no. folks out there, they're they're carrying. Um, the, the tribal conflicts 
on the Ethiopian-Kenyan border area, it's, it's tribal. Okay. We're not part of that conflict. And it's mostly, mostly over areas. land and water. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, so yeah. being robbed, was that, like, a worry ever, or is it pretty much... I don't... Um, uh, you need to be aware of it um, as a possibility, and we always would lock down, like... We had a, a good system of locking down our bike um, and the things that... But... My approach to that is um, if someone really wants your stuff uh, and your life's at risk, then they're going to get it. Yeah. Uh, it's, and to me, it's not, a, not something I really worry that much about um, because if it happens, it happens. The trip's over. You go home. You can save up and then you can get back after it some other time. You've got a pretty weird story to tell also. <laughs> yeah. um, now, if you lose something and you get robbed just because you're being dumb, like you didn't secure your kit and you walked away from it, uh, that, that I do worry about. <laughs> um, I don't want it to be due to a dumb mistake that the trip's over. Sure. So everything in the bike gets locked down. Yeah. Um, we have our own homemade uh, metal cables. We can run through everything. All zippers get locked. Because you do have to leave your bike sometimes, especially border posts, to go in, take your documents in. Mm. Um, it's kind of nice having a travel companion. Yeah, that can one watch your bike. Can wait by the mm. bikes. Yeah, so. and then I get sold fruit and pineapples and bananas <laughs> while he's off, like finding an ATM or something. So <laughs> like, well, we've got a whole like fruit salad here now. What are we gonna do with it? <laughs> Were the legalities of things difficult to? Um, contend with or was that pretty smooth or like entering new countries and stuff is that yeah yeah yeah. it's each country was was pretty different most of them as long as you're patient the border crossing is going to take a while maybe half a day Hmm. but it it wasn't so bad it was pretty straightforward and Right. The southern half of Africa actually blew me away. It was some of the easier border crossings I've ever done. Hmm. And he's um, done a lot. I have. <laughs> uh, but much easier than, say, Central America, for example. Really? But um, we had our challenges, too. Going further north, things got much, much more difficult. Getting visas was probably the longest, the hardest process. The visa for... Ethiopia took us a while. Yeah, you mentioned when we were fishing that Ethiopia was it was it was wasn't the same vibe as the rest of the trip. You'd said it was kind of a little unsettling. A little. They were having. Um, while we were there, the the president stepped down, and there was ri- some ri- rioting and stuff going state on. State of emergency. State of emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, while you're in the country. Mm-hmm, yeah, we uh, we had. Uh, the southern part of Ethiopia, we well, this was our Lake Turkana and this really challenging route we were talking about that was a pretty grueling four days. Ended up, we you cross the border into Ethiopia at not a border post. You actually just, you're just driving along in the middle of nowhere and you're suddenly in Ethiopia. Hmm. Um, and so we crossed in a really neat uh, southern, south western part of ethiopia and the whole all the way up to the uh, omarat omarate yeah yeah. um the whole ride up um from omarat to the capital um adi sabata abada abada oh no 
no. <laughs> I probably couldn't even say it while I, we were there. Um, but we was a pretty neat experience. Um, it's got a lot of those in, incredible tribe tribal people, the Mercy tribe. They all do different, unique things. The like the, the ones with the uh, oh yeah, the like you, you see like the, a National Geographic all the time. Yeah, yeah so and the, the houses they build are just they're just beautiful, and mm. they paint their doors these like bright blue and pink and I don't know it's really fun it was just um Ethiopia is a, another one like Namibia it's opposite of Namibia but just this breathtaking country really um what are they like, building the homes out of wood mud okay yeah yeah so. wood <clears throat> mud yeah cool. but they and they like they seem to take more care in like the decoration of their home to me i don't know it was super cool but but our the that from from the border to the capital city we had no issues we had um people it was just fun we went to markets and um people were curious but they it was we, good we came around one corner of, of mountain road in ethiopia yeah. and there was like six or seven um Folks on walk around on Young stilts, boys on stilts, painted up. And oh yeah, the the, the, the yeah. white paint. Yeah. I saw yeah, that yeah, photo yeah. on your Instagram. And they're a tribe, cool. and I am bummed. I don't remember what the name is. Was it actually for snakes so that they wouldn't get? <laughs> was that, was that no, a joke? No, oh, that's no. Awesome. Uh, okay. I thought that's a great idea. No, 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 that is a great idea. That's brilliant. I thought it was for snakes. I don't know. I don't think so. It's something they teach. I think. The young boys, the men in the tribe, it's like, I don't some know. Some like rite of passage type yeah, of deal I mean, or something. Yeah, I mean, something cool they do. Yeah, everyone's got their yeah. unique They were tall stilts, though. They were, Like, yeah. their feet were up at like, over six oh, feet, Oh, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Luckily, he had his GoPro on. Otherwise, we would have just, like, zoomed right past him on a on the mountain road, but... That's, yeah. that's just wild to come yeah. around the corner and there's right like, Did you see that? <laughs> 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 we had... Um, intercom systems okay. so we were able to talk from bike to bike cool. which ended up being huge Absolutely it was cool. awesome yeah. yeah for for two folks on yeah. different bikes because sometimes you'll get separated in traffic or something happens yeah it just it stops a lot of that frustration from happening not knowing or understanding why your partner is not there <laughs> well, she, she was yeah. there yeah. Did she go? Ago, but now she's gone <laughs> Met a local, you know. <laughs> or, or bike down. Bike yeah, down. bike down. Oh, yeah. I'm down. I'm down. How often did that happen? Like over 10 times? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do I want to say how many no, times I'm, that happened? I'm just curious because no. it's something to think about contending with. Well, on, on highways and stuff, it wasn't an issue. But um, we did... Our goal a lot of the time was to get off the highway and do the adventure dirt routes. And um, and it depended. So, some of them weren't that hard, but uh, the sand I'd go down. Um, various reasons I would go down. <laughs> but um, Did you ever break anything? Or was it? Um, not, not on... I didn't break, but my bike definitely is... Um, it's not quite how it like was in the beginning. Yeah, at, well like, loved. Yeah, at one point my whole like head 
unit <laughs> just like was not attached to the bike anymore. So it's got like random. We we brought um, quite a few like nuts and bolts and bailing small wire. parts and bailing okay. wire. Yeah. And so the whole tape. front yeah. end of my bike Lots is held together by <laughs> random bolts and bailing wire. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And headlight. it still is. I'm not changing it. It works great. You yeah. know. We had no. I mean, once we. Figured it out. I had no issues with it for the rest of the trip. So what kind of tools did you bring? Like what came in the handiest? Like bailing wire. That's something that I wouldn't think like I'm going to put bailing wire in, you know? That was the biggest one for my bike. Everything was bailing wired back together. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to figure out what type of fastener you're going to need on the trip and pack like 20 different types of bolts and stuff. But anything you can put a bolt through, you can lash. Almost anything. You can lash with. Um, uh, yeah, wire until you get to a major city where you might be able to find the right type of fastener or screw. Um, I carried a, like a, a pretty bulky and heavy um, a repair kit and tool kit. So I'm really big on that. I want to be able to do almost everything myself. Um, for and we bikes. did do mm-hmm. everything ourselves. We spent... Two, took us two solid weeks, and we weren't planning on it before we actually left for Africa, working on those bikes, like, from Here. dawn till dusk yeah. in the garage, oh, wow. getting them ready for the trip. Mine needed the most love. Um, we did some pretty wild wild products projects. We uh, replaced the steering head bearings, which got to take that whole... Every, I mean, <laughs> with, like cooking it on the stove and freezing pieces and trying yeah. things and making it fit back together. And then what we did, the um, the fan. No, mm-hmm. not the fan. What the... Um, oh, you're... Uh... <laughs> we water were, pump. The water, the water pump. pump. It looks like a fan. It does look like a fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, in which, like, we had to get, like, deep down in the... Open up the engine mm-hmm. case and... I think you guys do wheeling and what have you. I think you agree with me that maintenance uh, and uh, working on your machines, it doesn't take any special skills. It just takes time. Yeah. yeah. And, and YouTube. Sometimes yeah. YouTube videos and, and are super yeah. helpful. And if you've yeah. never done it before, it takes forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, the crux for me sometimes is just not getting frustrated with it. Yeah. Right. And just oh, yeah. sticking with it yeah. and keep trying. Like, yeah. even though it's just not working. Yeah. Right. Just to keep chugging at it and trying to find a way yeah and we have the luxury of youtube yeah yeah, yeah. So, but when nice. the, when we were done those bikes were like yeah. ready to go it was awesome so it was fun to start the trip confident in your machine you mm-hmm. know that it um and there's something we said for knowing like you've been in there personally right and then you know like okay if this is happening then i'm pretty sure it's going to be right right this right. system or whatever right, you know right, right. there's Absolutely. lots of peace of mind there yeah i can't figure out something yeah. with these dogs i'm yeah. sorry yeah. <laughs> let me let me shut yeah, let's pause it quick and make sure dogs. everything's rocking yeah yeah that's cool oh, i'm fine thank Good, you very thank much don't cool. <sighs> forget it, you guys have don't Africa without water. Yeah, we don't actually <laughs> keep water anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we evolved past we that point. We did have one very scary, yeah, uh, no water situation. Hmm. What happened on that? It was uh, in this. Um, so Lake Turkana is something worth googling. I know it's hard to explain. Um, <laughs> it's uh, 
they call it the like the emerald in the emerald desert sea. emerald sea in the desert it's the largest desert lake in the world huh. and uh, um, it's fairly difficult access I think there's some um, there is a newer graded road that you could access dirt road but it's graded so you could do it on anything yeah uh, wait no the last part the last 16 miles into town were um, very difficult Quite volcanic rock yeah. so you need four wheel drive to get in to, to just get to that lake which is pretty cool that um, you have to work to get there and it's this massive lake it's uh, technically an alkaline lake but it's got a low enough uh, I don't know what the proper term is, but so salinity or salt. alkaline level. Anyway, there's fish okay. in it, and there's hippos, and there's enormous um, are there hippos? crocodiles, or are they alligators? Crocodiles. Giant crocodiles. We learned so much on this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We that looks cool. <laughs> that was either a hippo yeah. or a crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Lots of wildlife, and there's some tribes that live along the shore. Uh-huh. It it's will be developed soon, though, because they're, they're going to put in, and they've started... A wind farm. Putting in probably the biggest, baddest wind farm ever made. Wow. Mm. Because the winds are crazy. Oh, yeah. Something happens um, on this lake every day uh, where just the lake, in conjunction with extreme hot temperatures, 120 degrees along the deserts on the outside or surrounding the lake, uh, it, it generates incredible winds consistently. Um, so strong, in fact, that I remember stopping on a little knoll, uh, um, waiting for Caitlin to come up, and I was just uh, standing there, my feet down um, on the bike, and the wind just knocked me over. Like, and then I got up, parked the bike, and then the wind blew my bike over. <laughs> it was it was incredible. Uh, I have some massive, actually the biggest dent in my pioneer on my bike is from the wind knocking my bike over. Uh, crazy strong winds, but it was actually a blessing because you're sweating in those temps under your riding armor, and uh, that wind it helps you off, cool yeah. you a little oh, bit. Man. So it's kind of a lifesaver. And you're out of water at the lake. Well, no, that's, that's a right. yeah. good question, actually. Um, well, I, I brought up the lake because we knew we would be challenged um, in, with the riding conditions. Uh, but we had to do it because we had to see this lake. And, I mean, Lake Turkana, it's super epic. Um, and we had to accomplish this. Yeah, once we heard some stories about it, it's like, right. It's like, well, that's a challenge. I guess we'll try it. <laughs> um, the way to get up uh, and up to the Ethiopian border from this lake, you have to depart from the lake. And you're still within, you're within 100 miles of the lake or closer in many cases, sometimes um, quite a bit closer. But... Uh, it's uh, so you're bounding away from the lake and you're heading north towards the Ethiopian border, and it's some serious desert riding. Uh, we found one well along the way. We packed a lot of water. I don't remember the numbers, but we didn't pack um, enough. No, we did not pack enough. I did not anticipate uh, how long it was going to take us 
to move in that terrain um, with our bikes. Basically, how many times we were going to be picking bikes up out of the sand. Um, within the first couple hours, like my riding suit was just caked in salt for my sweat seeping out. Uh, it was just so much work. Like we worked so hard in super hot temps. How um, hot? Uh, between 110 and 120 degrees. Goodness, right. And, yeah. you're in and, first, and you're in full gear. Right. Yeah. And there's and no shape. Well, sand and I'm dropping my bike a lot. So he's having to come back. I mean, it's just there could be mental and physical a lot going right. on. Some, yeah. some of these, you were just earning it mile by mile. Yeah. Oh, man. And, uh, That's brutal. Um, if you were really on top of your game and a very good sand rider, uh, it it's be a sweet track, you know, um, <clears throat> fully loaded the way we were. And uh, it was pretty challenging. But it was still awesome. It was still a great ride. But yeah, we didn't, um, we were traveling very slow and we were working really hard. So we were burning through water and by our, uh, by nightfall, we'd even re-upped at a, we found a well. So what does that look like when you find a well? Oh, basically. It doesn't look like a well. I mean, you want, if we didn't, how do we find out about it? I'd heard, I'd done a lot of research, uh, you know, weeks before while uh, waiting for a visa in Nairobi and uh, someone had mentioned that there was a well out there and I had a map that showed a very poorly made map um, I mean not kind of like a map you would get when you go to a national park or something like a pamphlet map <laughs> you know uh, but it was marked on there I'd heard about it yeah, yeah in fact there's supposed to be a couple wells out there but I mean, what clued us in as we were coming, we were low in the terrain and close to a dry riverbed, and uh, there was a ton of ton of cattle tracks, and I was just picking up speed to get through some more sand, but I just happened to look over to the right, and it was a little greener, and it just looked like a lot, not cattle, camels. I'm sorry, did they have cattle out there? <laughs> Mostly camels. There was what camels. We, we were delusional at this yeah. point. You know? <laughs> were you a camel? I don't know. You, you, it was very hard to tell why I stopped, turned around, and I could see like a lot of tracks going up to it. Just a lot of animals had congregated there. So it was something was there. And yeah. And then, then we scared. Yeah. There was, there was a kid bathing in it. Like a local, yeah. local kid, and he just sprinted away. Um, <laughs> So we had the like the aliens ourselves. are here. You, know, you guys yeah. are on your bikes with your yeah. gear and everything. Know, really. We oh, probably people. looked crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had to climb way down. It was probably 30 feet deep and you climbed into it to get down there. So it was like a hand dug it, hole. This thing had been built, I'm absolutely confident, like hundreds and hundreds, like hundreds of years ago. Stone, okay. right. stone around the edges, but it was like a legit like climb down into the well. Right. Wow. Like, Probably twenty feet wide with a tree growing out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, it wasn't the most like appetizing water. No, but we needed it. A bit stagnant, but we needed it. Yeah, we so, did. Need and it. we hadn't even got to the real wild country. At a certain point, we entered a su- section of desert where there were no people and no animals and no water sources. That's unsettling. Um, and that's where that's we when we got a little nervous. Start, yeah, we. <laughs> Like it, it was getting dark, and we um, bedded down for the night, and we had like 
it was scary for me because I always plan an exit. I always have an exit plan. Like if both bikes go down, what are we going to do? Can we walk out? What if one person gets injured? Can one person walk out? Um, we had it. And then normally I have a spot beacon too. Um, and so there's generally not a whole lot of risk. But in this one time, there was. <laughs> because of all places where the spot doesn't have service... It's like the most dangerous parts of Africa. Like the whole middle section of Africa, you just like divided Africa into the thirds, like the middle section, spot beacon and spot service is really poor. Hmm. Um, Why is I didn't that? know that. Isn't it satellite? I don't yeah, know. it is satellite. Like I They don't, probably don't have a sh- ton of demand right through there. Yeah. I don't for know. The, Could they block? Can you block that? I have no, I don't think so. Because comp- some countries, like at certain times, will block like cell phone. Um, but GPS is like a yeah. layer above almost. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't know why service is so poor. But had I done my research properly with the Spot Beacon, it says on their website, "Hey, the, this area of Africa, the place where you need it the most, it's probably not going to work." So, <laughs> so was this like shortly after you guys were low on water? And you were kind of like in a desperate spot? Or we what? were out of water. We had half an algae left between the two of us. We didn't have enough water to walk out. That's what was really Bugging scary. him, yeah. And we didn't have enough water really to process food. So we weren't, we were like... We didn't, we had tuna, we had a can of tuna because it had like oil in it. Yeah. So that at least didn't dry your like, mouth out. We bet that oh, gosh. in a real emergency, could we walk out from that point? It was 30 miles to the next um, town. That's what, kept us, that's what kept us going is we're so close. Okay. But you're right. Like 30 miles, 30 miles for me, I can absolutely do that. No big deal. Right. On a bad day, I can do that. But 120 degrees... No it's water. It's extremely debilitating. Yeah. And the, like, the landscape's the harsh, like, too, even to walk in. Like, yeah. deep sand, loose rock, brush. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, yeah. a, you know, walk down the highway 30 miles with a bottle of water. Even mm-hmm. while you're sleeping, you're dehydrating. Like, yeah. your sleeping mat mm-hmm. is soaking wet under you from your sweat. Because it doesn't cool off in the evening. Dang. This yeah. is where a 4x4 would have been awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. could have used you, Brian. Cooler, I'd be having a beer. You know, um, Trying so, the AC in there, you know? Yeah. Go. yeah. So, there was one spot where we didn't plan very well. We gambled that going forward it was problem, better than going back. Yeah, and part of the problem that got us into this situation was the track would, would get good for a little bit. We, our like, confidence hey, be like, right. oh, hell we've yeah, got we've got it. And then... And when you're 30 <laughs> miles from the next village, I'm talking like super... Primitive village, primitive. I mean, yeah. I, so what stopped you? Like, why did you stop 30 miles out rather than just pushing through? Darkness. Darkness, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, you can ride most roads at night, but not sand. Because sand, you to keep a heavy bike moving through sand, you have to have speed. Mm. You have to get speed off. So you got to be able to see where you're Like how fast-ish... Um, I, I know sound, it's super barrier. Yeah, but. like you want to be up to 20, 20 at least yeah. 20 at least miles 20, an hour, yeah. which sounds really slow to most people probably, but on um, a very technical track, that's fast. Yeah, and especially and, if you can't see yeah, beyond your right, headlights. Right. right. So now Were animals we, a thing? We thought, and we were worried for a minute, but we realized, and what was kind of creepy about it is there was nothing out there. Really? Like, now, Nothing. 100 miles back, we were definitely in 
there was there were animals. It was lion country. It was there was supposedly elephants in the area. I don't know, but uh, but this part. There were bats at night. There were bats. <laughs> so when you're in lion country, do the people around kind of have tabs on where the different prides are? Or like what areas they patrol? Or how do you navigate that? To some degree they do. Um, it's definitely a subject I enjoy talking with the Maasai about. And uh, But the, the locals live in um, essentially corrals of... Uh, What's the, the branch of the tree? The acacia, acacia thorns. So they build walls of acacia mm. around their um, communities. So, But the cool thing is uh, mo- most of the groups out there uh, are nomadic. And so you can find these, these um, thorn bush corrals all over the place. We used one so to camp in. So if yeah. we felt like we were in lion country, we would just park our bikes, ride in an abandoned, well, a seasonally abandoned um, corral of thorn bushes yeah. and we would feel relatively safe. How right? tall are they? Uh, I'd say they're pretty tall. Head height? Like yeah. five, four or five feet? Yeah, you're not five going feet. through that thing. I was going to say, those thorns are like, oh my they're, gosh. It's like gnarly. Yeah, yeah. they're the crazy, and it's like the, the most predominant tree in Africa, at least where we were. Everywhere we went in Africa, the one tree you'd always find yeah, acacia. is the meanest tree. Yeah. <laughs> it's like huge, like two inch thorns on it. Could you make use of any of the plants or different things as you were traveling? Like, were there any things you could, like, forage or trees that you could use for water, any things like that? Oh, uh, one time I was working on my bike and a mango literally fell on me. Oh, yeah. We had had a lot of mangoes, yeah. Um, Yeah, there's wild fruit trees and, um, you know... In the wet areas, there's... Food and stuff, but as you as you get into the wetter areas, where there are a lot of natural, easy access resources f- for food, um, the populations are incredibly dense. Mm-hmm. Of oh, humans or humans, okay. yeah. yeah. We that's one thing that actually blew our mind. You know, we thought go to Africa and it's going to be all like wild land camping and vast stretches of wilderness which there definitely is and we definitely got into it and it was there but um a huge portion of africa um and especially the water climates places that could support higher population it was so dense uh, with people that it was hard to even find a place to camp to bush camp like that literally the villages were that close together and people everywhere Oh, everywhere. everywhere. And we thought, there was a couple times we thought we were totally alone, and then voila, somebody <laughs> from the middle of nowhere. Right. So did you guys have a two-person tent? Like Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like a full tent, not like a tarp, or how were you doing it's that? No, we loved bugs, our tent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bug yeah. protection. Um. And quite... It, storm like we got quite a bit of rain through zambia and malawi did you collect any rainwater like was that a thing that you needed to do or where no, it was raining you didn't really need water there really was like towns more close together than you would imagine and unless we were taking you know a lot wilderness route of some sort um pretty easy to find food and supplies and that's good and all that yeah i, was always, I wondered about that when you guys were yeah. out there what and all did you eat Local food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of a good question. We ate really well yeah, in Namibia we and South Africa because they're 
um, gotta be a Dutch. Meat, meat there are eater. Dutch okay. colonies, and there's some German colonies. So I'm big on pastries. Food <laughs> source. Pastries, yeah. yeah. So I was eating a ton of pastries in Southern Africa, yeah. in these old German towns and stuff. Um, but so was, as you're like pushing up through, though, you said you were eating tuna. So in like some of those smaller places, could you find like canned foods like that? Or? Yeah, our our staple for when when we weren't planning on eating uh, locally in towns um, was tuna, ramen. So um, peanut butter, mm. <laughs> like those were our survival camping foods. And anytime we'd go camping, we'd really just live off that. I mean, one of the, one of my favorite things, like you really live so minim- minimalistically off these motorcycles. And so we don't have giant camp stove and we can't fry anything. I and mean, we get, so it's all it's boiled water and, and. And there you go. That's kind of brings us back to the four by four verse motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like uh, <clears throat> um, we don't eat as well as the guys in four by fours, uh, and we stock up like canned goods and things like that. We could we could find in the big cities, and we would always stock up mm-hmm. and have at least four days worth of food. Yeah, and, that was uh, our like emergency minimum. plan. And yeah. we'd only use it if we had to. Like mm-hmm. if I could. Um, find street food or something or a small village or something on the side of the road. We'd eat that, yeah. Did you ever get sick? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, like, what was toilet paper like? Like, did you have... You could buy it. Big cities is our our chance to stock up on things. Okay. Mm -hmm. And was that, like, an issue? Like, having diarrhea and stuff? Mm -hmm. How often? Like, was that, like, the whole trip? No. No, okay. Um, I had, I had a Pretty rough stint in Nairobi, of all places, um, the capital of Kenya. Um, that lasted me a couple weeks, but it, I mean, rough for like four or five days. Is it a lot harder to stay hydrated then and stuff as you're riding, or is we it? We were, yeah. In the case of getting ill, we were very fortunate because we had. <clears throat> we never. Well, we had just come through a very difficult. Uh, another amazing lake that that is. Google worthy <laughs> for pictures Lake and whatnot. Natron. Lake Natron. Lake <laughs> Natron. Um, that's really something to see. And it's deep in Maasai country and the Maasai are the locals there. And they're some fantastic uh, tribal folk. Yeah, the Maasai and are really incredible people. Um, yeah. But so we had um, pushed a new route uh, following like some smuggler tracks around the west side of Lake Natron and again crossing into um, another country and going from Tanzania into Kenya and in the middle of nowhere Chris on his GPS he's like hey babe we're in Kenya it's like <laughs> okay that's awesome yeah. did, did you say you followed smuggler tracks right yeah. well I mean it sounds <laughs> it sounds sexy maybe I just, and, it, and it is um, uh, smuggler so routes smugglers routes um Smugglers would use that, but also like uh, the Maasai um, cattle herders will push their cattle up and down route. And essentially, all it is is following as the lake recedes a little bit. They follow the shoreline of the lake. Super um, faint tracks. Yeah, which was really exciting for us. Lots of mud. That was awesome riding, um, though. That was great riding. Actually, like, I thought you're. You no, it really. No, well, it, there were definitely there were muddy sections that were challenging, but. 
most of it, it was wet, but it was solid. So mm. you could just fly across you could it. zip on it. And yeah. some of it was, we'd get forced off the lake and have to ride through some volcanic rocks. And uh, that was tough. But not but, as hard as Cibolai. Right. This is true. And the Maasai were super nice to us and friendly. And um, Yeah, go that way. And oh, we yeah. had one river crossing. Pretty big river crossing, actually. Um, right, like, you know, there was a village on the opposite side of this river crossing from us. And the whole village came to help us cross this river. Really, That's cool. Essentially, it was so cool. And then we met, like... There was one man, like an elder, I guess I would call him, and he spoke English. Ta- he talked to yeah. Chris, and then all the children always like surround me, and he'd like come and get, 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 you know, get away. <laughs> and he, but then we had two local boys um, on a peaky peaky, is what they call their little motorcycles over there. Mm-hmm. Um, 50cc. Um, yeah, super bikes, tiny little Chinese. bikes. Yeah. But they're two up, the two these two guys on the bike, and they're like, follow us. And they show us, like, we would have never found that really on our own. They just kind of routed us, okay, that way to Nairobi. You know, we're like, yeah, cool. And they let, <laughs> let us go. But That's awesome. Yeah, it was, we have some neat pictures from that. It was cool. And, yeah. Um, it, it was so fun because really in – most cases we would run into people like that and they were just like so excited to help you know and like and the further you got off the, the grid too then the nicer people were that seems to happen a lot yeah actually yeah because yeah. <laughs> people are, i think more vulnerable almost you know so then yeah. you like other people are like exciting rather than it being like Ugh. yeah right right you know? yeah that's yeah. true yeah, they were very sweet to us. I think also too, uh, my experience has been with people that are off grid. It's like they're not they're not so self absorbed in the iPhone or the social yeah. media or anything. Like they're really like in the now. And something they see, like, hey, yeah. what's up? Like, right. who are you? Like, yeah. what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, kind of stuff like that. And, right. and and those conversations seem to be more pure, or experiences seem to be more pure. Yeah. So. yeah. When you guys were going across, uh, you had mentioned that you came across some insane vehicles that people were doing the same thing you guys were but you were on bikes and they're on these huge rigs like yeah well like what did you see and what did they think of you guys being on bikes um they thought we were crazy i think <laughs> some of them but crazy we thought they were crazy so whatever but no they're they're mostly mostly european mm-hmm. i would say um always such cool people and um we actually we you meet you, you will meet people on the road who are doing overlanding similarly as we are, but um, we actually got introduced halfway through our trip to an app, an um, iOverlander. I mm, yeah, I've used that. Um, and that became, like, huge for us. Um, the people who introduced us to that were also... That's a, kind of a story in itself. Speaking of unique vehicles, and I, I'm super excited to talk about some of the monster trucks we saw yeah. over there, too, but the... The people we got this app from, or uh, who kind of showed us the way, um, they were driving Fiat Pandas, and they had driven them down from Switzerland. Like Fiat Pandas. What is a panda? I, can, I know. Oh it. my god! It's it's like a little Toyota Corolla. Yeah, it really is. It's like four wheel drive. It's hatch. Those are four wheel drive. Yeah. 
Huh. I think uh, we were looking at maybe some... <laughs> they're like, let's go to Africa. But, I mean, they were <laughs> such cool kids, but two of the kids um, were from Fort Collins. That was even stranger. They yeah. had... I don't even know how they'd all come together to begin with, but we um, we rode up... We did a write-up on it in our blog um, in Namibia, but... They had driven the western side of Africa. Which is a lot more um, intense. Like, politically. Challenge mm-hmm. more... Tra- and, and rougher roads, like... I would say dirt. I think whether you look at the reality of it is for adventure overlanding through Africa, and actually I can say for the world, is that you can do it all, almost all of it on street, almost all, like ninety-five percent. I mean, you can go from Alaska to Ushuaia, like the tip of South South America, on road. You can do um, all of Africa on road, either side. Yeah, there's going to be sections where you're going to have to deal with gravel and mud, some sections, but most of it, and it's still going to be an amazing adventure, however you do it. Um, but in addition to these main routes, there's a world of, of off-road um, and new routes to be discovered and, and ridden or fabled routes to ride. Um, just like here in Colorado, you can ride the interstate and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. Um, or you can go... Uh, push your vehicle and, and your body sometimes on these wild dirt tracks. And so uh, these guys who came down in their pandas, they had um, they had done some pretty good, some pretty yeah, impressive off-roading. Yeah, they were quite adventurous folk. They, we watched them. Actually, they helped us out because we got into a bit of a bind. We traveled days to get to this um, really cool national park in Namibia that's got these giant sand dunes and then they wouldn't let us in. So because on the motorcycles. The bikes oh. they're worried about bikes scaring animals. Uh, which is true. If you look at your average like dirt bike or what have you, they're really loud. Our bikes mm-hmm. are not loud. They're mm-hmm. quieter than half the cars out there. Um, but uh, so we couldn't get in. So there we are like standing out front of this national park that we really wanted to get into. And then um, we met these guys in their Fiat Pandas and they're, I didn't think they would help us out, take us in because they're actually offloading gear to make their pandas lightweight so they could ride on the sand. And I was like, they're not going to want the extra weight. But they sure us. enough, they're yeah. like, yeah, jump in. That's cool. Super <laughs> lovely people. And uh, yeah. Yeah, they work well. So were their pandas built out? Like, did they have different tires or anything on them? Or they're just like straight off the lot? Let's hit it to South Africa. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, these. I mean, so you'd meet people like that. I mean, there were a few other people we ran into that had just were trying it in whatever vehicle they could. But then you also get what? What was that guy that um, in Malawi oh, at yeah. that campsite? What was that? car um i want to i don't remember the oh, we're, we're talking like unimog type oh yeah um, like monster truck mm-hmm. i call them monster trucks because they they look like monsters my yeah. they drive by They're me huge. on my bike yeah um but he could survive what did he say months, months, he said, months without refueling un- totally unsupported desert, water fuel food for months wow that's yeah. some careful packing but yeah i mean this is the same this truck's the same size as your garbage truck that comes through town yeah uh and it's what did this guy what was he like where was he from and why german German, yeah and he just built that out and was he'd been living out of it for a long time yeah i think 
been a small business owner, sold his business, um, and he bought the truck in uh, from someone in in Africa. Was driving around Africa. Yeah. And there's people who are, of course, bringing their trucks down. Also, um, they're. I. It's funny. We we would look at his machine and be like, oh, it's like everything you could ever want on that thing and you'd be living like really large but he's also looking at our bikes and here's there's something where you know i could really easily change a tire on as opposed to my bike or my truck where it takes like two days to change a tire that's an exaggeration but a day it would take Um, those trucks were unbelievable and they're everything was thought out um for survival like off the grid on your own on your own those and they their ability to offer it through the sand and through dunes and stuff. Now, heaven forbid you ever do get one of those stuck. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah, what's really. gonna pull it out. <laughs> Actually, Maybe like ten elephants. I've heard about <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard about one Unimar getting stuck um, on the canning stock route in uh, Australia. Australia and I think they just had to wait about a month for the monsoon season to end and they came in and got it wow so but neat machines and then of course there's the um uh what do you call what's the the hiluxes are all over the place oh yeah there and they've been built out um and that's like the it's the toyota version the the tacoma of europe right they're diesel um, okay like bulletproof engine and never fails you can shoot it with the 50 affordable too uh Boxy looking, they still look like a vehicle that would have been made in the eighties. Yeah, isn't that funny? Like, I got on the Helix. Truck. Yeah, I got on the Helix website to, to see because there's an importer that is in New York, and so um, they have all these ones for sale. And it's like, you know, 2015. I'm like, that thing looks like it was designed in 1982. Doesn't it? You know, I mean, yeah. it's just weird looking. Right. It's like the cab doesn't fit the the, the bed, kind of. Yeah. Like weird weird proportions, but those things last forever. I mean, heck, you can drive it off a cliff and it'll still start. Right. You know. Right. And yeah, that's. I mean, I, I would kill to have one of those is machines. diesel more prevalent out there absolutely yeah. so in your unleaded right yeah well the was that a crux it's like not why? because of the um the ever since china's been selling their little peaky peakies they're mm. like 120 50 cc to 125 bikes they're not even dirt bikes they're like just utility bikes um those have gone crazy well all over the world uh, especially Africa, and I don't know how long it's been a thing, but even you can push those things pretty deep into the backcountry, and they do in the villages. We have wow. seen some those motorcycles; they do wild things on those. Things. Right? Yeah, and they're always two up, and then like all right, like a city guy on the in like driving, and then a Maasai guy with his like staff and his <laughs> outfit riding on the back, and they're like bumps and jumps and doing like whoa. I can't yeah. even do that. <laughs> or that one we saw climb like straight up the side of that hill, remember? And he's like, and they also carry on the back of them, like, oh, we've got pictures, but like, what, like a hundred stacks of hay, you yeah. know, like a thousand feet all high, the all on the back of this little bike. You're just it's like, impressive. all right, I couldn't do <laughs> like that. Like the most technical riders yeah, in the world. More and power to yeah, yeah. He's capable gear. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's you know? incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's why every village just about has at least a small quantity of what they call 
black market fuel. Hmm. Now, it's not necessarily illegal or wrong. They just they have some fuel in a um, a bucket that they will sell you for a high dollar. Yeah. So you can always get it. Um, if there's a community in the area, when I say community, maybe like uh, a village of 50 people or more, they will generally have fuel. There were a couple of times though where they did oh, not they did not want to sell it to us. Right. They had for it, but price. they didn't they wouldn't for any price, I know that, which was pretty wild. Hmm. Um, but we did find there was always someone, super sweet guy who would help us out, jump on the back of Chris's mm-hmm. bike. We had this guy take us all over the this town in the Sudan, riding on the back of Chris's bike, like, okay, try that place. That right. didn't one didn't work out. Let's go there. <laughs> Fine. Um in Sudan, it ended up get being so hard for us twice that we had to um, the, had the police. They the police actually helped us out. Really, so we were like, hey, our visas, visas are expiring, and da da da. Fuel to get out of the country, you know. Yeah. Can you and they were out? sweet. They, they were, were nice. They were very nice. That's yeah. Cool. So, um, are you having to deal with exchanging currency like a bunch a of times? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then, do the tribes care about currency? Or are they like? Whatever, bring me something that actually matters, or how does that go? They love the U.S. dollar. If you want to give them the U.S. dollar, they all want the U.S. dollar. And we were like, why didn't we bring more money? They didn't understand it. They were like, you know, we're Americans. We should have, and they're right. Give us the U.S. dollar. We just didn't know. We didn't know that. Because you can count on it It to not lose value. Right. Uh It was the best form of currency Everywhere, just about everywhere we went. Every, um, I would say everywhere. More accepted <laughs> than the crazy. euro. Yeah, yeah. I thought wow. the euro would do the job. Um, yeah, out there. Not that the we had any euro or, either. We were like. I did. We had some. Oh, we did. Okay. <clears throat> well, we should have taken uh, more cash, but then you obviously come up with the, the, the other side of the story. Where do you want to carry, carry a bunch that of cash? much cash on mm-hmm. you? Yeah. Um, so that's a tough one. You always want enough to get yourself out of a big problem. Yeah. yeah. So when you get to a different um, established town or whatever, then you can access your U.S. dollars through an ATM? Not U.S. Like, dollars. So work? you could pull local currency out of ATMs. Mm. If, if, what is that pulling against? Like, the, the, the dollar. Well, right. Yeah, whatever rate that okay. versus the U.S. dollar in our bank account, I guess. Okay. Which yeah. sometimes it's fair, sometimes it's not. Yeah. yeah. Usually it's it's pulling from ATMs is is usually the best rate you're going to find in that area. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and it's such a luxury. ATMs, I was talking to my dad who did um, his motorcycle tours through Europe in the 70s and there was no ATMs. He carried like travelers, travelers checks, checks and things. Oh my gosh. So now if you can get to a capital city um, or you know, a major a major city, you can load up hmm. cash. Did a lot of the like um, tribal people have cell phones or anything? Mm-hmm. It did. That that is the strangest thing. Uh, it still blows my mind in the world today. I, you can go to the the some of the most poverty-stricken areas, and everyone's still got a cell phone. It's mm. like somehow the market knows uh, the cell phone companies in the they know their market, and they can sell you know uh, phones to the population at a price they can afford. So, but even folks, those far out, like for for us, even those far farther out, more separated 
communities, still now they're becoming more and more attached to the bigger cities. Like even out um, at Lake Natron, like they mm-hmm. had that bus that went twice a week for them to actually brought them to the big city. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And they were getting more of their goods and stuff, like all the beads the women were making their jewelry out of, they would sell out there. They actually got in town. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, the world's getting smaller. Yeah. So, and a lot of the, the, the men were starting to go to school in the bigger cities. If they wanted to. If they wanted to, to like mm. learn English. A lot of them were like learning English to be tour guides and stuff mm. like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Wait. But I would still say most of the Maasai don't speak English. The, well, none of the women did. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> We had a really neat guide. We out at Lake Natron in Tanzania, um, they kind of require you to have a guide in some places, um, but in this case, it actually it was quite a neat thing. And he was such a cool guy, and he would translate for us. So I we've got all these women, Hank, who want to know everything about me. It's kind of cute. It was fun. Like, why do you have a nose ring in? Why is your hair blonde? <laughs> How come you have no children? And, da, 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 da. and well, you know, they want to talk to you. They want to get to know you. It's super cool. Um, and he was able to make that happen, cool. which was really neat. Yeah. And then we climbed a volcano out there. Um, and we again. Oldonio Langai. Oldonio Langai, yeah. Uh, and um, it was required again that he guide us up there, but. I mean... Was it an active volcano? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it, last time it erupted was in 2007. But you're up there and you can hear it and there's rock fall in it and you can Whoa. see it. Like the, and it's it like can, it's alive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. pretty wild. A, um, a real climb, too. I think it... I want to say it was like 10,000 feet of and it's I, I, it's like that. you're on like slick. I mean, it's old volcano, all old um, lava hardened, you know. So it's pretty slick, and it's it's fourth class. It is. It's a steep. It. <clears throat> it's a pretty intense climb. We did it at night, and then you are your the goal is to reach the summit at sunrise. Because uh, um, it's so hot during the day. Yeah. I think oh, that's my theory. And there's yeah. no water up there. That makes sense. But, but I, yeah, yeah, probably. But then. Uh, Chris paraglided off the summit. It was epic. It was pretty cool. <laughs> and then left me with the guide to hike down, but it was it was great. And the it was fun to hike down and see it in the daylight. What what we had hiked up at night was just like, oh my God. <laughs> it's just these wild like the lava had just done, you know, it's done this crazy stuff. So you're mm. hiking through very unique. Oh wow. Terrain. And you guys had paragliders with you. For part of the time, at least, right? Yeah, I sent mine home for. Did you get to use it before reasons. you sent it home? We did. We flew did. in Namibia, and this there's these awesome sand dunes, coastal sand dunes, coastal like right on the ocean. You fly for miles, yeah. just along the the tops of these dunes, and because it's all soft sand, you don't wear shoe, you don't wear shoes, or it's pretty chill paragliding. Yeah, it's super. We met these like easy. awesome Austrian and German pilots. That we hung out mm-hmm. for, with for like two days. One of them flew in a full um, suit, like suit, business like suit. business suit, just flying <laughs> around shoeless in a business suit, and 
Yeah, I have a just a little party out on the sand dunes. That's so cool. cool. Yeah. So can you read the terrain and the weather and stuff to kind of get a feel of where thermals will be and what it's going to be like to fly? Or how does that look? Yeah, it's, you can, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for some of those, um, like you see a long set of dunes right next to the coast, you know there's wind coming off the coast, off the water, that's going to hit those sand dunes and create updrafts. So that's an example. Yeah. You can do that. Or you can be riding along and just see this big, beautiful mountain like Odonia Langai and um, and just hope the weather's good when you launch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you basically carry the wing up, and if it's flyable, then uh, um, you launch. And if it's not, you carry it all the way down, and the paraglider gets a free ride, yeah. which happens occasionally. <laughs> so. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's a fun sport. You can kind of... I like to take some of my toys with me. I've seen other bikers carry their fishing gear and stuff with them. We did meet one other motorcyclist with a paraglider. Oh, we did. Yeah. That's right. Or That's was, awesome. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. from <laughs> You're like, oh, Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's the first one I've ever met. Um, That's carrying I've the, been the doing gear. it yeah. since uh, 2008. Yeah, on his world tour. Mm-hmm. He took his paraglider with him on that one. So, yeah. Yeah. What a great, like, side activity. It is, yeah. yeah. It, you know, I mean. it kind of gives me a little bit of direction uh, when I'm out there because um, if I go into a new place, I don't really know where I'm, what the coolest, I don't know enough about the country or the people or the culture to know where to go and what to do. But I can start off by going paragliding and then I meet people um, with similar. Uh, passions mm-hmm. and it takes me to uh, gives me it just gives me direction and helps me meet people because there's pilots all over the world too and it probably gives you a good feel for the land and like what's yeah you get to see from a different perspective yeah i'm always sure. looking for something that looks flyable sometimes you get a long hike back yeah <laughs> weird place you're like i land way over there yeah. i was yeah. Yeah. over there yeah. <laughs> i used to do it with skydiving i was in the skydiving club oh, in college neat. cool and That's so awesome. uh we had at kansas state everybody um there, there was this there was this uh, airport 20 minutes 20 minutes outside of town and everybody was trying to get their uh, license to do crop do- uh, crop dusting because I guess that's really oh, profitable. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. like they have to get an enormous amount of hours. So we fly these Cessna 182s up and just jump oh. out and take like forever to get up to altitude. But yeah. so much fun because those planes you can fly them almost sideways and they still fly. Yeah. And oh, we go we go out on the struts and everything and try to climb out on the wings and they fall off. You're like, oh, I got a parachute. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we did that. I heck, I did over 100 jumps. Oh, that's it was awesome. fun. It was yeah. cheap too because the guys were wanting to get their hours. So like, hey, just pay for gas. So like, each jump was like ten bucks, and then we had our own gear because the guy that was president of the club, his dad owned a manufacturing company that manufactured skydiving gear. Oh, so we had all amazing. great stuff, and it was so much fun. Yeah. So I can wow. kind of relate when I saw your paraglides. Oh, like, that looks yeah. rad. It's like, oh, I miss being under canopy. Yeah. So, yeah. so paragliding when you launch, you're looking for an updraft, and you just like wait for it, and then you go. So that's like the cool part versus skydiving is you're like completely autonomous, right? Yeah, you don't need an aircraft. You don't need an updraft. It's just nice. Hmm. Um, so you just need a good cliff. If it's steep enough. <laughs> don't yeah. draft, you don't want a downdraft. Mm-hmm. Can't work with that. So you uh, just create your own lift, like running with it exactly. down a cliff yeah. or down a hill? Or... Just like if you take a kite and you put it on the ground and then you start running and pulling the string. Lift it up a little bit. And then, and then when your feet get off the ground, I'm sure you're probably just like... Whew. 
And yeah, it's just the coolest feeling. It is. God, I have to do that. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I'm like, that's, that's my next thing I'm getting it. into. Everyone has to do it. I was supreme. I'm surprised it's me. I'm doing it or you'll be put to bed. Right. Yeah. Like it's it's not it's kind of niche, you know. Like people, yeah. I hear about people skydiving and all that kind of stuff, but paraglidings, like not often do I hear people talking about it. It's uh, strange that it's not bigger than it is in the U.S. You go to Europe, it's pretty, pretty big, popular, yeah. um, mm. very popular, and here it's it's growing. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, I mean, you know, the rea- there's the reality of it too. Like the weather's got to be right. Mm-hmm. And the conditions have to be right, and you need to have your landing zone or something figured out, your glide path. So <clears throat> uh, a little bit of thought goes into it. You can't fly everywhere. Uh, but it is an aircraft in a bag. Um, How big is the bag? Is it like a duffel bag? or uh, you, The kit varies. I took a pretty bulky kit, and um, it's a little bigger than your black bag. Okay, that's not there. bad. So uh, I, don't, I don't know what you... Yeah, so, we had um, how many liter Patagonia duffels were those? I want to say it's a 30, 30 liter. So and where do you put that on the bike? On the back. Just like across the back so, seat? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and we have, um, yeah, and it kind of goes over. So we've got the side boxes, the panniers on there. So it, yeah, rests on the back. It's not too bad. No. Um, you're, you're adding with all, like, if you go for a full size. Like my kit's pretty bulky. You could go way lighter, way lighter. But I'm running a, um, I probably, uh, what would you say, 17 pounds of paragliding equipment on my bike. Hmm. So uh, it is. And then, I mean, when you're riding off road, yeah, it it is a bit extra to add. Yeah, it could be quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Which is why think- I ended up sending mine home because we were about to get into some pretty intense. Writing, yeah, yeah. and like that twenty pounds wasn't worth for like to no. get through that, or uh, it helped a lot. I think sending it back for me, and then just the weight difference, and then also, um, like we were saying earlier, the the flying was pretty big flying. Like Chris flew in um, Etin, Kenya, which is like known for pretty epic big air and um i'm not that's that's not my style yeah i'm the chill paraglider pilot (laughs) you're just like meandering down the valley yeah this is cool (laughs) good big wave surfing for surfers like i mean it's all depending on the season and what weather patterns coming in but uh we showed as we traveled further north in africa it kind of just got the flying got wilder and wilder the Which heat, was the cool. Heat, the heat yeah. makes it because you've just mm. got so much mm. thermal stuff popping up, and, and the Rift Valley just generates this lift that's um, unbelievable. It's from the bottom of the, of the valley floor to the, the top where the, little, the village of Eten was. Um, it's like five thousand feet, I think. Dang. Eten is also where all the famous Kenyan runners come Olympic from. Olympic. Oh, really? All from yeah. one town. Really? Right there. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And then the whole world comes to like train there too. It's a big. Which is, is it high super, elevation or something? Or? It so is. Like, I mean, com- yeah. not compared to where, to where like we Red live, Island. but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was high. Seven seven thousand feet. Yeah. Yeah, seven thousand feet. It. Yeah. But it's crazy. Um, you think that there's all these? We actually went for a run there. We're runners. We're not like. 
obviously pro not runners. Olympic runners. Especially no. not. We've been riding on bikes. <laughs> We're yeah. running in our hiking boots. But um, <laughs> uh, the folks are most. They do most of their training on the road, and um, uh, and on a track. And coming from BV and Buena Vista. We're looking for these beautiful mountain trails. You I know, know. We were like, Which where are the trails? How might, are you running Might there? be there, but we didn't find them. So. Yeah. Well, we found some. We wandered our way into someone's backyard on a cliff yeah, somehow. But, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I'm from here. Excuse us. <laughs> but, yeah. So would you, would you guys do this trip again? I mean, is this something that you would entertain doing again? Or is there another adventure on the horizon that takes precedent? Have you, have you even talked about that yet? Because the, the, the trip is so fresh still. You probably are just... Yeah. I think we'd love to do another adventure again. Mm-hmm. Where? Uh, we haven't... Haven't decided haven't yet. Haven't decided. Uh, There's definitely places in Africa we would love to go back to. Um, right. But. There's a lot out there that we just barely brush the surface. I mean, like the folks we met, they'd be, they had been on the road for... 10, 15 years, sometimes more. Wow. I don't even know how exactly they they make fund, it fund it or do yeah. it, but um, they they're still wandering around Africa looking at cool stuff. So there's um, there's so much to see and we barely brush the surface. I would like to go back and rip some desert with my tread again. <laughs> uh, Maybe the eastern route next time. Yeah. yeah. It'd be fun, I mean, if you had the time to I, there's, I mean, quite a few people have done it, but circumnavigating the whole. Oh. So the starting on the um, western side and then all the way down and back up wow. the east coast. That sounds like a heck of an adventure. Yeah, it'd be pretty amazing. I'd say you'd need at least a year mm-hmm. or more. Times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything that changed in your like normal life after the trip? Like, did you pare down like general things or were you already there or how did your perspective change? Well, your perspective of the world really does change. Yeah. Very yeah. appreciative of what we have here. Yeah. Very, very appreciative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a, you know, we, we got a lot of problems, our own problems in the U S and even like our town or whatever, but, um, it's still an awesome country to live in. Fantastic place. Wonderful people. Um, uh, we were happy to come back to it, and uh, and when you come back from a trip like that too, I guess the reason I haven't, <clears throat> I don't know about you, Kim, but I haven't thought, I know we're going to go out and do another big trip, and there's going to be other, and I'm definitely going to leave the States again and go travel. You have to do that, and there's amazing countries out there and awesome stuff to see, um, but when you come home, you realize how much you haven't seen in right your backyard. Yeah. Like I've met people on the other side of the world that know more about Colorado than I do. It's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. So there's uh, so much. I mean, I hadn't even ridden. I just rode Hayden Pass for the first time. And we uh, live like 30 ago. minutes away. And Medina Pass. <laughs> yeah. I, I also just recently rode that. And it's like, this is epic riding. And it's mm-hmm. right here. Yeah. You know? And Hayden's great. No one goes on that. <laughs> it, is yeah. Yeah. it is great when I, when I was down there a couple weeks ago I, I went from the Coaldale side over to Villa Grove side and then I okay. I went down um, to Moffitt because there's that awesome single batch coffee roaster down there and they're, and they're oh, like yeah. oh yeah they're like what are you doing in town because they see me every once in a while because I'll go down there and buy like 
tons of their single yeah. dark or single uh, source Ethiopian dark roast. But anyway, they're like, "What are you doing on here?" I'm like, "Oh, because Hayden Pass is one of my adopted trails." They're like, "Oh, I was like, oh, I was on Hayden Pass." They're like, "That's open again." I'm like, "No, no, it's still, <laughs> it's still closed from Don't the fire." Yeah, because everybody in there, like the whole heads in the turn, they yeah. looked at me. I'm like, "Nope, nope, nope, nope. Not, <laughs> not passable. You wouldn't go. It's very dangerous." <laughs> yeah. But you're right, though. There's so much here in Colorado. I mean, like you know, oh, yeah. in my own life. I've got people say, oh, you must go all over the place. I'm like, no, I just stay in one mountain range. And I still haven't, I've just barely scratched the surface. And so you're right. It's like traveling abroad like that's awesome for the perspective of what we have here. Because if you do come back and you think like, wow, we we got it really good. Yeah. Compared to other areas. I mean, like the ease of living in the States with all the conveniences we have and everything. It's second to none, really, unless you're another first world country. And so, but you're right though. It's like you think like, wow, I, I still have all these places around here in my backyard I haven't visited. So yeah, it's like really what it boils down to. Is there's just not enough time in the day. There's <laughs> not. There's yeah, not. That's yeah, true. that's true. Yeah. And that's a good thing too. Yeah, because yeah. if we ran out of things to do, then what would be the point of anything? So, yeah, yeah. I, I get real bored, and when I'm bored, I'll just not sound good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I think traveling through Africa just really does. I mean makes you um, just traveling in general to different countries and being open to different cultures and ways of life really makes you, I mean, you can't help but become much more open-minded, I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, about just any, I mean, in general, all the differences of all the people living in Buena Vista, you know, but um, that was pretty cool to me also. And you've got, you know, you hear so much stuff and you, you, but you go over there and see something just completely different maybe than what you expect or um, even even the landscape between from country to country, you know. And then the different, each country, the people were so unique. But we, we think about it like uh, the, the United States, like between state to state, people are actually pretty different, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And but you you think of us all living so close together that maybe or all in one country and our continent and you think people would be more similar than they are but mm-hmm. I was amazed how different the cultures and the people and the vibes of each country different. I was uh, it was incredible it was really fun to to see and it makes you want to see more you know right Absolutely. which is cool well, cool. Sure, yeah. yeah, I think that's. I think that's good. I mean, is there anything yeah, else you guys want to add? Fun. I'm sure, we could come up with more stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll keep talking to you. If you guys ever want to give beginner courses on paragliding, yeah, yeah. Mean, <laughs> two built-in no. customers. So, yeah, yeah. Ryan, he's not taking customers right now. It'll take me. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. This has yeah, been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, and your adventure, I just, uh, I've been blown away with it. So we're going to share the, the Instagram channel with everyone so they can go check out your adventure and look at all your amazing photos. And, and you said you have a blog, too. Do you want us to share that? Or? <laughs> we did. It's it. We have it, in, uh, the link in our Instagram account, but we... Um, we stopped riding in Kenya <laughs> because internet internet uh, yeah and they, like downloading one picture took like 10 hours you know mm. we just didn't have the time for it mm. um and we'd love we do our goal is to complete that blog but um I found more and better internet 10 years ago in deepest darkest South America than I could find in capital cities in Africa really, really? unreal yeah, yeah. Huh. everyone has it 
it just is it going to work or not? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> They'll advertise we have it. Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So like you can connect to it, but then nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Or yeah. there's no power. Okay. Like the whole city's out of power, so then Wi-Fi is yeah. not going to work anyway. Mm. We have, you know, we have Wi-Fi once a week when the power comes on. So, yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, good deal. We'll get all that shared up, and then. Um, uh, Do you guys have any parting thoughts? Anything yeah. you want to tell people? Go adventure. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot less risky out there than folks think. I, uh, anyone can go out and do it. It doesn't, it's not as, it, sometimes it can be scary uh, in certain situations, but 99% of the time, you know, it's a lot safer than we think. Um, you are assuming some risk. Uh, anytime you accept an invitation to go do something abroad or in an unfamiliar environment or you step out of your comfort zone, but um, usually it works out real well it could be a rewarding experience and i think um you know, what we did is not as crazy or exceptional as people may think uh basically you just get a vehicle and you start riding and driving and figure things out and, Which is uh, and have a really good time figure it out moment no? by moment <laughs> okay so. yeah i mean really it is just going just like packing your bike and taking that first step and then you're on the road and then you just go from there right. i mean we started um in colorado and then we we actually rode out to los angeles to ship the motorcycles from los angeles uh to cape town and just that just that step calling that first shipper you know and getting a quote and all that yeah. it just gets the ball rolling and it makes it real and then you go yeah no. you buy that plane ticket <laughs> and then you have no choice <laughs> and then you're like you what did i get myself go. into yeah. 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 yeah that's awesome but yeah you'd be surprised too like you ask a random stranger for something or you uh the policeman there or the you know like they're pretty awesome and always willing to get you on your way and help and mm-hmm. yeah it's super cool so, sweet yeah. well i admire i admire your guys's adventure spirit yeah. Yeah. it's awesome i'm excited to know you so i can <laughs> have paragliding yeah. and climbing partners absolutely sounds good well thanks guys for your time i really appreciate it yeah yeah so all right cool thanks for having us yeah. you bet and uh and moving forward uh like we've said in last pod uh, previous podcast if you want to send us any questions of anything you'd like for us to cover uh, my email is brian at coloradobackcountryadventures.com. Mine's barrenlink at gmail.com. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.